0: It's flat out RC time once again. Welcome back. My name is Andrew Sill, and you're listening to the podcast where we talk all things radio control flight. We're talking radio control planes, helis, and drones. Thanks for joining me. Big uh, shout out to everybody around the world that's listening to the Flat Out RC podcast. Uh, I hope you enjoy this episode. It's going to be a good one. We have a gentleman, gentleman by the name of Scott K joining me. Scott is involved in pattern flying and he comes from Tasmania. He's the first Tasmanian guest that we've had on the Flat Earth RC podcast. Uh, so stay tuned for that chat. But uh, before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. few notices before we get started. Uh, the first one is: don't forget to subscribe to the Flat RC podcast. If you enjoy this podcast and you want to stay in touch with it, make sure you press the subscribe button, no matter what platform you're looking on, because we cover a lot of different podcast streaming platforms, whether it be Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Google Podcasts, or something. I think it's called. Basically, look up Flat Out RC podcast, you'll find it. Uh, Now, a couple of special offers, just a reminder, the NGH engine special. If you want an NGH petrol engine and you want to save 10%, well, you can by visiting rcworld.com.au, the hobby shop down here in Geelong, Victoria, Australia. So you've got to be in Australia, people, to get this offer. rcworld.com.au, use the code FLATOUTNGH, FLATOUTNGH at the checkout and you'll get a 10% discount on any NGH engine, two-stroke, four-stroke range. Uh, some really nice models. The four-stroke 60cc twin is my favorite because it goes blonk, 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 when, uh, when it runs, beautiful sounding motor. So don't forget 10% off using the code flat our NGH by visiting rcworld.com.au. And our another 10% offer is at Scale Aero Products. If you're looking for a laser cut kit, Visit scaleaeroproducts.com.au, and you can get a ten percent discount by using the code flat out ten. That's one zero for ten flat out one zero. And again, at the checkout, and you'll get ten percent off any kit. And they've got everything from gliders to warbirds, civilian planes, you name it. The range keeps on expanding uh, out there at Scale Aero Products. So take a look. Visit scaleaeroproducts.com.au and use the code flat out. 10 to get that 10% discount. Remember, 10 is one zero to get 10% discount on any laser cut kit. So, our community announcements are now complete. And now I want to talk about something that uh, came into my mind the other day, and that is about um, petrol engines versus what I call nitro engines. So, the old uh, nitro uh, motors that ran with a little bit of nitro and electric motors what is your preference i've come to the conclusion that i am have two preferred methods of propulsion taking turbine out of it that's a totally separate category but when we talk about propeller driven uh, aircraft my philosophy is anything sort of up to 30 cc i run electric uh, anything above 30 cc even though i do have 30 cc gas, so 30 cc and up uh, can run a petrol engine. Um, I'm talking about sort of what commonly referred to as gases. Do you know how many people have complained about me say, using the word gasser here in Australia? Because we don't use the term gas for petrol here in uh, in, in Australia. It's, a, it's an American term. But um, I think that the industry uses the word gas and we know what, we, what, what that sort of refers to. But petrol engines... Um, of the uh, two-stroke generally variety is what I use in my aerobatic models, at least. Uh, I have owned nitro models before. My first model was a, a you know, an OS forty-six AX driven uh, nitro methanol, whatever it is, uh, motor, and I don't mind them. I love the smell of them, actually. I don't like cleaning the mess up, but I do like the smell of. Uh, of those of those engines, um, you know, with the smoke that they, they emit. But um, one thing about those kind of engines is they're generally pretty reliable. There's hardly any moving parts really in them. Um, so they're very, very reliable and uh, easy to start, whack a starter and off you go. I think what's happened over time is, is the models got bigger, the power plants got bigger, and, and uh, moving away from those nitro-powered, Engines uh, sort of made sense because there was sort of a, a limit to the size. Um, you know, you can't get a hundred cc size nitro engine, but uh, the cost as well, because you burn a lot of fuel, and those the nitro fuels not too not, not that cheap. So running a petrol engine makes a lot of sense with bigger models where it's cheaper to run you can hand start them, you know, uh, kind of thing. So that works quite well. So not sure what your preferences are, but that's where I sort of sit. I do love the convenience of electric models uh, in that it's it's sort of a no fuss thing, plug it in, turn it on, off you go. Um, I'm building, I'm just gonna finish up almost done on a 30cc size aerobatic model, which is gonna be a 12S electric setup. The first time I've gone to that bigger realm, I sort of, well, as soon as you get the 30cc size models, I say you're in that bigger realm of plane. So that's going to be, um, that's going to be interesting to fly because that's got, going to have a lot of grunt, a lot, a lot of grunt. So uh, looking forward to that. But um, the gases on the other hand, those petrol engines, you get really good flight time out of them. I mean, I'm getting at least 10 minutes on mine. Uh, you know, with my 30cc, um, with the 35, EME 35, I could, I could go for 15 minutes plus. I generally do use, I've got quite a reasonable size tank obviously in it, but I'm using about half a tank every flight for a 10 minute flight. So I've got plenty left in it. So I do like that, that you don't have to worry about charging uh, so much and and batteries are getting expensive. Engines are expensive as well, but, but batteries are getting expensive and uh, you know, I'm fortunate that at my new club that I'm a member of, there's really good charging facilities. So my philosophy is to buy good batteries and just charge in between flights rather than clubs where there's no charging facilities and, and you've got to have you know six packs just to get a good flying session in um, without any charging facilities. And if you do bring your own generator, there's additional costs and all that kind of stuff. So it's a bit of a pain. Clubs out there, charging facilities, put, if you don't have them and you've got access to power, then put it in because it's just, it just it it changes the investment in a kind of way that people need to make um, into into batteries which can be expensive and sometimes have a limited life. You know, flying uh, hardcore three D helis, they you know, slam those packs and uh, they're not good. They'll puff. So anyway, that's where I sit. That's where I'm sitting. Um, I know some people that are solely electric. Some people that are only into petrol powered stuff. It's all flying at the end of the day, so it's not a really important thing. But interested to know where you guys sit on the fence when it comes to your choice of engines or uh, motors, as they say. Send me a message, comment somehow, comment on the podcast. Anyway, let's keep on moving. Now it's time for uh, the best part of the flatout RC podcast, I believe, which is guest time. And this week's guest is a guy by the name of Scott K. Scott comes from the land down under. From the land down under, uh, Tasmania. Tasmania is part of Australia. For all those listening you overseas, uh, it's just an island of uh, the southeast uh, bottom part of Australia. Uh, but Scott a, has been flying for quite quite some time. He's not new into the hobby and uh, known as an F3A pattern competitor and pilot. Very accomplished. Um, has been to World Championships, uh, uh, as you'll find out. But um, it's good to have someone for Tasmania, find out a bit more about the flying scene in Tasmania. So enough of my yakking. Let's get to the chat with Scott K. We have our first guest from Tasmania joining us on the Flat Out RC podcast. Scott Kay. thanks for joining me.
1: No, no worries, Andrew. It's great to be on your show.
0: Well, I suppose I should explain to people where Tasmania is because you'd be surprised, Scott, that this is an international podcast. We've got guests from overseas. So for anybody listening overseas, grab a map of Australia on Google Maps and you'll see down the the southeastern tip of Australia offshore there is an island called Tasmania and do you know what Scott I've been doing I've been reading a book about the history of Australia and and Tasmania which was formerly known as Van Diemen's Land was one of the first parts of Australia that was uh that was discovered did you know that Scott?
1: I uh, knew well, you was right at the start of everything um <laughs> probably one of the most places that the convicts come to, I suppose, in the early days.
0: That's right. In the early days, uh, when the, when the when the English settled in Tasmania, they sent a lot of convicts to, uh, to Van Diemen's land, as they call it uh, yep. back then, uh, which later got renamed Tasmania after Abel Tasman, the explorer. See, I've been learning a lot lately.
1: You've done well.
0: I have, haven't I? So <laughs> I've been wanting to get someone from Tasmania, and actually we have to give a big shout out to Fraser Briggs. Fraser Briggs sent me a message and said, "Get Scott Cahon to the um onto the podcast," and I already had you
1: in mind anyway because I. Oh, okay, know. so i have got Fraser to blame. Okay, I remember that. Yeah, and, <laughs> and after having
0: a look at your Facebook page and seeing the um the cans of alcohol and stuff, I could see the connection between you and Fraser. <laughs> yeah, we do get at, on well. <laughs> connected at the beer bottle, um, but uh, and look, Fraser wants to come back on the podcast. His his podcast went crazy. He had got a lot of listeners. so he's a good bloke. Now let's talk about your story. Where did your journey in aero begin?
1: Well, my dad used to fly RC in the 70s, early 80s. Um, he progressed then from, like, he just used to fly out in the paddock down at Edith Creek, which is sort of west of where I'm now, on the very northwest sort of coast of Tassie. Um, him and his brother, my uncle, they used to just go out and fly in the middle of a paddock. Anyway, I used to go with them from time to time as I was a... Uh, Youngster, teenager, growing up, but he sort of gave that up and progressed into full-size aircraft. So he's got his own ultralight business. He's an instructor and teaches people to fly them. So he sort of got out of the hobby. Um, I didn't take it up straight away. It was about 19, was it 1996? So it was going back a while. But um, I had a mate down here at work. I used to work in Tassie, and he sort of got interested as well. So I dragged some of dad's old gear out and and started flying and um that's history from then on
0: that's interesting like how old would you have been when you when you really got into it again like 99
1: um that would have been 30. I was a bit of a late starter compared to a lot
0: yeah that's interesting because we like i've heard all the stories here on the podcast and often it's um, the connection with your dad doing it. Um, never had someone say, My mum used to fly model airplanes and I followed in every step. Maybe <laughs> one day, you know, one day you'll we'll, we'll hear those stories. But um, that you, yeah, you sort of came to it quite late. So obviously you'd already done the girls in the car thing by then and you're looking for something else because that's the other
1: recurring theme. If yeah, you would yeah, already down. wasted all the Already wasted all my money. So, <laughs> yeah, no, it'd be sort of settled down by then. So, yeah, I was, uh, well, I was always into cars and bikes and still am a bit like motorbikes. But, um, yeah, so I've managed to fit the the RC flying in around that. Well, I've always said,
0: and I've said this many, many times, that we aeromodelers are tinkerers and we are interested in things like motorbikes and cars, fishing, boats, anything like that. We are all into it. just seems to be a common thre- thread. And uh, I'm the same. Um, just got into motorbikes, in fact. Okay. And uh, Which people who listen to this podcast now know because I keep on mentioning it every time. And uh, I did fall off it a few weeks ago. But uh, actually, last weekend it was. But it was okay. It was only a slow speed off whilst I was dodging a lizard crossing the road on a dirt track. Oh, the, right. Okay. Yep. But it was a minor detail. The lizard survived. Oh, that's main thing. Uh, you, so you get back into it when you're 30, and you had you know someone else with you, kind of thing. What you said, you grabbed your dad's old planes. How old were they? Like, was it old kit, or you know, what condition was it in?
1: Well, the trainer that I started flying with was one that Dad actually designed and built himself. Um, just had the 20 size Taipan, the South Australian designed oh, really? engine. Yep, had that in it. So I, I got that. Got Dad's old craft radio set out. <laughs> yep, yep, craft set back then. New batteries, all that sort of stuff. Um, got it all sort of up to scratch. And Dad came with me for a couple of weekends in a row, about two Saturdays and two Saturday afternoons up at the footy oval and I was flying solo.
0: That's a classic. You would have been the odd one out with the craft radio in 1996.
1: Oh, yeah, back then, yeah. Well, well I didn't really know anybody else apart from my mother Matey, that was flying that was sort of flying them. I wasn't in a club then to start with either. Um, I didn't join the club till probably maybe 12 to 18 months after that, I suppose. I joined the club here, the Northwest Modellers, And yeah, then, then sort of decided, well, a couple of times flying with the craft, every now and again, it'd just go off the air <laughs> for no reason other than it just wanted to. Yeah. So a couple of times down behind the pine trees, but then after a few seconds it had sort of popped back up again i was good to go but yeah so anyway a couple of years later i managed to scrape together enough to grab a new jr set and yeah i've had sort of good sets radio sets since then yeah we can't
0: it's very rare that we would hear of anybody saying my plane went off the air normally i think if the plane goes off the air the batteries failed and uh and that's what made you off the air more often than not but um yeah, that, that recurring story of people, well, like last week's podcast, you know, went off the air, lost it. You know, so many stories like that. And uh, that learning phase for you, what what did it look like? Was it, um, you know, when you when you got back into it, were you still able to fly a plane, or did you have to have your dad there to grab the sticks just in case?
1: No, once once I'd went solo, like, well, back then, like there was no no buddy box like quartering back then. It was just hold on to the transmitter and next thing it's yours and you've handed it back if you get sort of caught out, you know what I mean? So, yeah, so it was a bit of that just back and forward. But yeah, once I, once I'd sort of went solo that first time it was, yeah, from then on, it was just, um, all good.
0: And so then it's, I'm always interested to see what happens, what people's next step is after that trainer. Cause as an example, I had a trainer, the, the nitro trainer, and I, I knew that it was a a vehicle that I was going to fly only to get, you know, my solo and get my my wings as they call it, um, before trying to move on to something else. It was a bit more agile and that kind of thing. Did you have your sights set on something else beyond the trainer early on?
1: Uh, not early on, I suppose. Um, once I'd sort of got used to the trainer a bit. Now this was again before I'd actually joined a club, me and my mate just flying in paddocks or 40 overs or wherever we could. Um, that also had a a low wing aerobatic plane, which was called the, the bar eight. Like it was a 80% version of the old craft bar fly pattern aircraft back in the day, pretty popular one. So I, was, I got that and that was my first wing, first low wing model that I flew. Um, no real, interest at that stage of going any further than just flying planes around the sky, I suppose. Um, but then progressed through that, joined the club, um, another mate over here, um, or a couple, Steve Ralph and, and Gary Anderson were sort of flying Patton um, and I sort of got friends with Gary Anderson fairly well and he was into pattern then going to the mainland from here flying comps that then yeah and i started into pattern and been hooked ever since so 2000 was my first sort of major pattern comp on the mainland
0: well i, I noticed on your facebook page that when i started looking for you know model airplane photos like most, you know most of us have got some model airplane photo on our facebook page all i saw was a pattern plane f3a plane so we're, we're i'm gonna i'll do this back to front what category are you competing in in um, pattern now?
1: Uh, at the moment, I'm in the um, top class F3A, which is international class.
0: Yeah, so you're a gun. That's that's you know, to get the now, let's go backwards because there's a journey to get to that level because it's it's extremely difficult and you know, very disciplined kind of flying. Going back in say 2000s, um, let's start off with what, what plane did you fly in, in Patton? What was your first first plane that you used?
1: Well, actually, my first local contest, we were just flying with a little 32-size uh, low-wing sports plane that I actually bought when I was in Thailand, in Bangkok on a trip. Oh, really? Yeah, so that was like a little ARF back then, I suppose. It was all yeah. assembled. I just bought that, brought it home, and I started flying that. That was my first couple of comps. And then from then on, um, another guy over here, Steve Ralph, who was into heavily into aerobatics back then, he had a Model Tech Sapphire that he partially built so i managed to get that off him bought that off him um it had the os hano in, installed in it so i finished that off and that was my first official pattern plane
0: and the did you did you find that you got that bug very early on because a, a lot of people that i that i talk to that get into competing in aerobatics that they say that it's quite addictive because you know you want to try to keep on improving did you find that that was the case for you
1: yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Um, yeah. I just loved it. Um, I go to the field to fly and that's all that I do. I take my patent plane. If I go, I might take a sport plane up occasionally, but I have a few flights. Uh, yeah. Okay. Put that away and grab the patent plane out. So yeah, that's pretty much 99% of what I fly all the time.
0: Do you think you like that, um, that discipline and that focus of when you, when you're flying a you know, prescribed sequence, you You've got something to, you know, you something to do when you're flying, if you know what I mean. That you know, there's a lot of people who just grab a plane and just scoot around the sky and, and I get pretty bored of that. I actually ended up earning learning like um pattern basic pattern routines and IMAC routines just so that when I was flying I had a purpose to what I was doing to keep myself occupied and try to improve my skills. Are you that way inclined as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, I'm very competitive. Um, and and pattern it gives you some dame for. Um, you're always Trying to improve there's always something to improve on and yeah so then the more practice and i I, I don't know i just find a lot of people sort of get a bit bored with it because it is the same routine over and over again but i find it's good um you've got something and you're trying to put the plane where you want it to be not just end up where it ends up if you know what i mean yeah that's that's half the the battle to do that to get it to be where you want it to be at the right time and all that sort of thing not just oh it's ended up there so that's where i'm going
0: Mm, that's true and i find that um you've always got different flying conditions with wind and wind directions and you know that kind of thing to obviously try to put you off in a kind of way but um with those planes early on so we, you know, I spoke to, uh, not Greg Lepp, um I guess on a few weeks ago. Um, Norm Morris, Norm um, was saying how he's seen a massive change in in the model, in the models that you fly for Pattern, and Guys. and you obviously came in at that time when there was a great time of change as well, um, and seeing the sort of the modern two by two meter pattern plane when did you venture into that realm with the with the two meter plane
1: yeah well i suppose just as i'd started flying pattern that was sort of at the early early stages of the two meter planes um and just after not long after the turnaround sort of came in but yeah probably i had that the sapphire that's like 60 size flew that for about well, I only think I went to the mainland. Went to the mainland for my first sportsman comp with that. That would have been early two thousand, and I went back later in the year for the nationals, which was December, I think. And I had my first two metre plane then, which was a, a John Payne design cyclone. Okay,
0: and are you an electric guy or are you you're stuck with petrol?
1: No, I'm still, I'm still with IC. Oh. Um, I'm, I'm a YS diehard. Yeah. yeah,
0: I was going to say, <laughs> if you're a flying pattern, you have got to be a, a YS. Eddie Edwards would be very proud to hear you say that over at RC World. The, um, and so why have you stuck with the with the IC stuff instead of electric? Because everyone seems to be going electric.
1: Um, I don't know, really. I just never ever felt the urge to go to go electric. Um, I'd had. Like once I went for for the two metre, um, that was my first YS 140 as well, the four-stroke. And from then on, you know, I just had YSs, like every new model came out, like you'd go up to the next model. And by the time electric sort of come around, I had a quite a bit of, I suppose, money tied up in, in the four-strokes and that. Um, I was having good success with them. A lot of people had a lot of problems. Um, I do think a lot of problems with the YSs. Self inflicted by a lot of people, yeah, but I seem to have a pretty good run with them. Um, I haven't had too many major problems that have sort of held me back at all, and so yeah, I just love them.
0: Well, they're still used quite regularly in, in world championship events,
1: yeah. yeah, not so many these days. Um, the world number one, Christoph at LaRue, he still flies YS. Um, there's another guy in France. He's a, a one of Christophe's mates and flies with him regularly. He's, he's a good pilot. He flies YS. There's still a few around, but there's way more electrics these days. Um, I suppose if, but if I was starting out in pattern these days, and hadn't sort of flown pattern before or been out of for a long time, I would probably be most likely go electric.
0: Yeah.
1: But because I've got the background with YS and I've got them sussed pretty well. I can sort of get them set up pretty good. Don't have, like I said, don't have too many problems. So I just I just go with it.
0: I'm amazed how quiet they can run those motors.
1: Yeah, they, they can. Yeah. Yep. Um, I've had, we've been like, when you do our major competitions um, here in Australia, like the two big ones and nationals and that, they are noise tested as per FAI regulations. And I have had my YS sound test less than some of the electrics Oh, really which is a bit surprising and yeah
0: but how do you go with, with prop size are you is similar prop to size that the electrics are running or you know what's the set, how's the setup differ
1: uh, they're, they're quite different um electrics generally run a lot more pitch um so some i think a lot of the electrics these days are probably running 23. 12s or 14s or something like that. It's a bit of memory. I'm not really up with it, but that sort of type of thing. Um, But now with the YS, now we're up to 200s now with the YS. And we're up to, we're now flying 22 inch. So 22 by 11 inch props, which is is fairly big.
0: I know that some of the um, electric pattern flies are also engaging the ESC brake on down lines and things like that, um, which obviously you can't do. Do you think that's, you know, impacting the way you fly at all or doesn't make a difference?
1: Uh, Obviously like these days, of course another, another sort of judging criteria is constant speed these days that you're aiming for constant speeds, no matter whether you're going vertically up, vertical down, horizontal 45 or whatever you aim for that, that constant speed. So obviously, the four-strokes are, are better at it than the two-strokes, so you don't really see any two-strokes these days, just mainly because of that. Um, and with the four-strokes, running the bigger bigger props with a bit more pitch gives you that bit better braking as well. Yeah, that's true.
0: So what, what current planes are you using in competition?
1: Uh, well, my current one at the moment's called XRL2, which is a Nauik Pascal design from... France. Um, I've had that for a few years now, and it's got it's the one the best flying plane I've ever had. It's just that good. Um, I've got a couple others since then. That I'm I got a, a Rika, which is a Hugh Yang model designed by Christophe Payson Leroux. I've got that, but i was still working on that and, and getting it sort of sorted out at the moment. So at the moment, the the XRLD, it's a biplane, and yeah, that's me. That's my plane of choice at the moment, and I just love it. It just does everything right. Well, it's it's amazing
0: because I've flown like smaller pattern planes, and they're amazing to fly. So when you you know when you say oh it's amazing to fly, well most pattern planes I think are pretty amazing to fly. What makes it that extra bit special?
1: But I don't require any mixes at all. Um, quite like. I think there are, there might be some out there that don't require mix, most planes require a mix of some sort, like for knife edge, like rudder tailoring or something like that to come the track straight or rudder elevator, but mine, the only mix i got is a downline mix, like a throttle to elevator, so in your vertical downs, it just kicks in a little bit of down elevator when you're at idle, just to, to keep it vertical, which 99% of um, pattern planes require, and... It just goes goes where you point it, which is pretty much the same for all pattern planes. But like I said, there's no mixes. I can do flat eights, horizontal eights, vertical eights with rudder only. Just so easy to fly. It's just just needs a bit better pilot behind the sticks. <laughs> now,
0: <laughs> that, that comes down to the practice.
1: <laughs> and, Absolutely. And
0: that leads me to the next question because I'm always intrigued when when I talk to people that compete in aerobatics and, and their practice regimes, because we know how important that is. Do you have a defined practice regime when you go out and fly um, fly pattern?
1: Uh, not really as such. I do try to go to the field when there's sort of no one else there so I can just sort of set up and, and do me thing But as of for a set thing I usually I usually try to do for, uh, depending on the weather and how much time I got, but try to do sort of six flights if I can. Um, sometimes a bit less, or just depending on the day, or if it's a really butte day and it's going really well, we'll do a few more. But I'd say six would be the average. And I just, I usually just fly the, the sequence. A lot will sort of fly parts of a sequence to practice on certain areas. But I find flying the whole sequence for me works better. And just try to, the areas that I know that I'm not quite right in just try to focus on that as I'm going through the sequence, but then just keep everything sort of flowing on from there.
0: Yeah. You said something that was interesting, that you'd like to go to the field when there's no one there. And I sort of know what this answer would be to this question, but there's a lot of people out there who sit and say, oh, the patent guys wanted to hog the sky and that kind of stuff. Why do you have a preference to be there, to have the, have the sky to yourself without other people in the air?
1: Um, well, my club here, I have no problems with flying with other guys. They're like usually sometimes they'll fly when I'm flying, but usually I'll, I'll try to work it out. So we have, we're all in a club of only four planes in the sky at a time, just for sort of safety reasons. And I'll sort of, I'll watch as well as going on. And when I see they're sort of just about to land, I'll start getting ready. And by the time I'm sort of ready to fly, there might be one or two up. And then by the time I get up, they're about ready to land, and quite often they would just sit back and sort of let me have my flight without sort of taking off, which is good. Sometimes, well, I don't mind if they do, but they generally pretty considerate like that, and they'll do that, and they'll sort of have a watch of what I'm doing. But so that's no dramas, but I just, if I'm by myself, I can, I can just, I can set up, just do what I do, don't have to like concentrate what I'm doing. So I usually just, I'll set up, I'll fuel up. Take off, fly the sequence, land, sort of come down, refuel it. Sort of think about what I need to work on for the next flight, and then sort of just get in that routine, and then sort of go again. Yeah.
0: Do you ever use a simulator, or you just practice out of the field?
1: Oh, I have used simulators. Bought um, one years ago. I got the. Well, I had a real flight, and I got the Icarus RC seven, I think it was. Um, and that's out there for years. But I ragged it out again just recently and sort of set it up and started flying a bit. I get very bored with the simulator, I find.
0: Yeah. The is I think, good for short bursts. It's okay if you're with other other friends and do it online. That's what I do it sometimes. And but um but what I find after about half an hour, I'm just flying on autopilot and just having a chat. And <laughs> so it's just more of a social out becomes a social outing. But um
1: yeah. But I yep. don't
0: mind. Well, we've been nice and locked down here in Victoria a fair bit. So getting on the sim was the only thing you could really do. Keep the thumbs going. Um, What radio gear are you using nowadays?
1: Uh, JR. Still with JR. Well, uh, yeah. After I left, like, well, after I sort of, well, my first radio I bought was JR. That was the 388 back then. And then I went to the 3810, then to the 12X and then went to the 28X when that was released, and that's the one I'm still flying now.
0: Now, that 28X was sort of a bit of a trailblazer. I remember it having all the bells and whistles. Uh, they don't make them anymore, do they? But um, how's that been for you? Like, have you found it? Because that had all sorts of – was it an Android operating system or it had a different, different software, I think, on it, didn't
1: it? Yeah, it's a, it's a Android operating system. Um, I haven't have had, like, Touchwood. I haven't had any problems with it at all. There was upgrades that were made over the first couple of years, but I sort of just, I wasn't having drama, so I just left mine on the version one. Then after a couple of years, they got to six, and there was a couple of up, uh, bug fixes or upgrades, we're going to call it in that, that I sort of thought might be good to have. So I just done the upgrade straight to six. Um, with, there were a lot of people... Having problems when they did the upgrades, they was sort of what they call bricking them. They had to send them away and get them sort of reset. But um, well, a bit of good luck, I sort of managed to get mine done without any dramas. And yeah, I haven't had a problem since. Been a fantastic radio.
0: Yeah, I think it's one of those things like if it's working, don't play with it. Like I, I'm similar with my Spectrum Radio DX18QQ that I've had for years. And there's been a whole bunch of other updates and I haven't touched it, but um, unless there's some new functionality, but. Probably don't need the
1: new functionality anyway. No, well at the moment, the, the 28X that does everything I need to do. Um there is like JR have sort of come back again now, like through through Dforce. So that's good. And they are working on they're working on actually a new new top-end radio at the moment, actually. That's haven't seen many details, but yeah, it shouldn't be too far away from what I can hear. Oh, sounds like you're already planning to buy it. Well, we do, do I really need another one? No, you don't.
0: But I can tell when you went. Well, that's like yeah, I'm going to buy one. I've heard that well before. Coming from Tasmania, I'm intrigued about flying in Tasmania because you know it's not a big place. You're not too far away from the mainland, but still far enough to not come across for a weekend. You know, for just quick practice fly. What what is the model flying scene like
1: in Tasmania? It's not too bad actually. Um, we've got actually we're supposed to be having a comp this weekend actually Saturday, um, and at the moment we've got eleven entries, which is that's really good. Not that's not too bad for Tassie. Like like generally we'll get anywhere between sort of eight eight and sort of twelve. Mostly around about 10 ish, as most of the time. So, considering our population and the number of actual aeromodels we have in Tassie, we, we don't get too bad a turnout.
0: Now, that's, um, that's really good numbers, really, for a competition, um, for a patent competition. You know, in, in Victoria, we know that there's a pretty healthy patent scene here, and our numbers are always reasonably okay, but um, that's not bad. And how many of those competitors would ever travel to the mainland to, to compete in some of the
1: bigger events? Uh, well, at the moment, what, there's one, two, three. We've got five that have that have been to the mainland before. We went to a Masters, where was that? Can't remember, I think, can't remember where it was now. I thought it was Pit Town. Anyway, one of the Masters, we actually had five from Tassie at this competition. What, did you do a big road trip, put
0: the, load the cars up and put them on the, on the, on the ship over or...?
1: Yeah, yeah, pretty much. Uh, we, we sort of a few of us sort of went at different times, but yeah, we sort of—that's the the best way to go. You can sort of fly, but you know, I just find it's easier to throw all the gear in the Ute and and off we go on the boat. Yeah, make a lot more sense. Current yeah, cause like I, can t- I can take everything I need to. Like if you want to take some spares, and usually I'll take two planes usually as well.
0: How many times do you reckon you, you come across in a normal a normal year, not like the last two years of COVID? In a normal year, how often would you get over here to fly?
1: Any anywhere between three and six times a year.
0: Gee, that's a fair bit.
1: I think the most I've done is six trips a year.
0: You're a very committed patent pilot then. <laughs> you know, all <laughs> but, these people that complain they have to drive for two hours to get to the field. Well, yeah, good luck.
1: Yeah. On on average, I suppose, through three to four, I suppose.
0: Yeah, that's still pretty good. Good effort. Mm. The well, you're involved in organizing patent comps, aren't you, in Tasmania?
1: Yes, yep, yep. I, I sort of run the sc- the new the scoring system we've got, the no to score scoring system. I run that, so I'll I'll set all that up for the for the day.
0: Do you find judging is a problem? Because I've always got concerns about aerobatic competitions and, and, and the standard of judging and the, the variability of stuff. How do you go in Tasmania with a, with a with a smaller group and getting everybody up to speed from a judging perspective?
1: No, we, we don't have any more real dramas than any anywhere else Every, everywhere there's always variances it's something that you'll never get away from there's some will sort of might judge a little high some a little low um the main thing at the end of the day is in, the the right person usually wins at the end of the day and that that's the main thing but we always sort of focus on judging and try to sort of give everyone the the most information we can just to to keep them up to speed and to know what what they got to look for and, and how to go about it.
0: How many clubs are in Tasmania?
1: Oh, What would there be? There'd be probably be be half a dozen, I reckon, that I know of. That's pretty good. Yeah, yeah. It's not. There's been there's been one or two sort of closed down for various reasons, but at the moment, like there's. There's well, there's there's six that I know of. So, and there might be another sort of another one or two sort of obscure ones somewhere kicking around, but that, that's about it.
0: Well, I remember my brother telling me a story of he went to Tasmania, and he went to a local flying club, and he didn't rave about the models or anything. He was just raving about the food that he had at the club. He said these guys are <laughs> great here. The food was awesome. He's been on and on. I've gone you what know, about the flying stuff. It doesn't matter. The food was good.
1: Yeah, yeah. Got to have the, good food. <laughs> oh,
0: it, it's it's like food and model flying go go well together. It's something that you know I've seen it overseas that um, you know they really embrace, especially in the US when they have like events. They'll really embrace like a big, massive barbecue and that kind of stuff. And here we just don't have have it as much even though i must say that at my local club um last year at an event they did a really good job with the food and made a bit of a a big deal about it which was good it was well worth it too so it was always good to see now you're in a a funny situation where you you do live in tasmania but you spend a fair bit of time out in a mine in the middle of south australia and tell us about that because i'm really intrigued to see how that all fits in with your model flying what is what does your work life look like?
1: Um, I work a eight days on, six days off roster. So I'm not away for too much of a stretch at any one time. Um, occasionally, I'll do a... Like I've just recently done a three-week um, stint because I sort of had a shutdown on and it just wasn't worth trying to get home for a couple of days and going back. So I just did three weeks on then just having three weeks off now. So that works out pretty good that way. But generally doesn't work out too bad. Um, getting enough practice in some time can be difficult because usually the time I'm off is the rubbish weather and then mm-hmm. the good weather comes. The day I'm driving back to the airport to go to work, yeah, it's a beautiful yeah, day. Yeah. I know. It's all the
0: like days, <laughs> is, isn't it? The, I was going to say, because I, I, as I was listening to you talk, I'm thinking, oh, it'd be great. You could have like six days of opportunity to go flying, but then you're right. You know, you, The weather's been terrible here. If I... The amount of flyable days in the past month here in Melbourne has been terrible. Every weekend, this weekend, it's going to bucket down with the rain again, apparently, and windy, and we've had trees falling down or whatever. So even though we're sort of unrestricted with the COVID situation, just can't go flying. Oh, you know, during the week, there's some options, but I'm working during the week, so I can't get out there. So so yes, it's interesting that, that and obviously you're flying into these mines, so you, you spend a lot of time on aeroplanes coming back and forth uh, how do you, it, it must be awkward if you've got a competition coming up, so timing wise do you have to miss a fair few competitions just through clashes or you being the, the Tasmanian organiser of, of the pattern play and sort of work around your own schedule?
1: Yeah, we, we try to sort of work the competitions in local ones in Tassie around when I'm home um, that doesn't work too bad, Usually, we usually try to sort of schedule one a month Um, And sometimes, like, if we can't have a comp that particular week, might be able to sort of postpone it for two weeks later. Um, But that that seems to work pretty well. Haven't had too many dramas doing that. Um, But, like, this year's been a bit abnormal. Even though, like, Tassie, we've been the one state that hasn't really been affected by coronavirus and lockdowns. And the last six competitions have been canceled due to weather. Oh, Really? Yeah, we, we haven't had a competition since May, mm. and that's all because of weather. So hoping this weekend was going to be good, but that's sort of looking a bit iffy at the moment as well. So we'll wait and see what happens there. But yeah, generally don't find too many dramas with the with the um, with my work and, and holding comps in Tassie.
0: Yeah, well that's pretty good. I always think there's there's an upside and a downside to that kind of work. Um, and- well, the,
1: the down the downside is even though I got six days when I'm home. I sort of go flying every day if the weather's okay. But it's not really – a bit of a regular practice over the whole time would be ideal, you know what I mean? That's right. Instead yeah. of having that eight-day break. Practice. Yeah, yeah.
0: I, I just get amazed at some of the, the top-notch pilots in the world. Uh, they must be out there almost every day. Like I know that um, you know, Jace Ducey, the freestyle gun, he flies every day possible, so much so that – He's, he, he's got his own private strip so that he can really practice whenever he wants. Um, rents rents a paddock from a, a local corn farmer and he's got a strip in the, down the middle of the corn kind of thing. Um, but, yeah, I think having that regular consistency would probably probably help. That's why I need to take a simulator with you and just do yeah, you Have you ever yeah. done that? Take a simulator with you whilst you're away?
1: Well, I, I, I sort of downloaded the the flight sim onto my laptop, and I thought I'll use that up at work, but my laptop won't quite run it fast enough. Can't get enough frames per second out of it to make it. it sort of gets a bit sort of notchy yeah, and, you know what I mean, good. not smooth. So I might have to look at upgrading laptops so I can sort of run something a bit better.
0: Well, I literally just at dinner time had a chat with my son and said, oh, your school's giving you a new computer. I want your old one so that I can run my flight simulator on it. And he said, "Oh, it's a bit small." I said, "Well, it's going to be better than the one that I've got." Yeah, yeah.
1: My, my, yeah. my, my desk, my desktop here at home—that's fine. That runs it no worries at all. It's just the the laptop won't quite do it.
0: Yeah, you're talking earlier about that—the uh, new, the uh, this is the Orica that you've got.
1: Orica, yeah, Orica.
0: I've got one of those on my real flight sim. Actually, is my pattern plane of choice. Oh yeah, yep, uh, Now, what's your plan with that? You said you have got to do a bit of tweaking to get it right. I suppose just a bit more flight time but what's your plan with that model
1: oh it's just to, to work out exactly the what i need to do like with trimming um I haven't quite i need some mixes i haven't sort of got them finalized yet so i just need to to get a bit of time on it work out the, the mixes um a bit of adjustment on the incidences etc just to just to get it to do what it needs to do um but I find it a bit hard to get enough time to do that because I'm usually practicing with the other one for a comp that's coming up. So I just hopefully over the summer, over the next couple of months, to get some time on it and get it sort of set up because it is a, it is a very nice model. It presents very well in the sky. That's what it's got going for it. Yeah. Well,
0: you've, got, you've got a biplane, you've got a monoplane. How do you find the difference between flying the two?
1: Well, at this stage, um, I'm gonna say the, the biplane flies better, but like I said, I haven't really got the other one sort of set up how I need to set it up yet either. So but compared to previous monoplanes I've got, the, the biplane is much better. What makes it better just a bit more draggy or uh, it just just seems to track better. like especially through rolling maneuvers, knife edge maneuvers, it seems to hold its line a bit better with with less rudder. Less input. We've seen over the years
0: with changing sequences where people will upgrade their model to suit that kind of sequence. Is that something that you've had to chase over the years or you just, you know, fly whatever sequence you've got with whatever you've got in the hangar?
1: Oh, when they, when this, like the new models come out, if you want to keep up with everything, you sort of, they do design models to match the sequences that are coming up for the next season, for the next two years. So a lot of people will sort of upgrade um, coming into the next season. So they've got a up-to-date model that's got the designs in it for them sequences. But saying that there are some people still flying reasonably old planes that, that still manage the sequences okay. So, but obviously a, a plane designed specifically for new sequences will will do them a little bit better and easier. So you just got to take that into consideration. And like I said, it's, if you want to lash out and buy a new plane every every year or two years, it uh, can get very expensive. So that's something else you got to take into consideration too.
0: It is, it seems like there's been this jump up in price again of, um, of um, pattern models. I was, I was sort of surprised at some of the, you know, the cost, you know, somebody who knows spent more than $10,000 on their pattern model, and I'm like, "Gee, is it that expensive?" Um I'm sort of a bit. Surprised. Yeah, well, both
1: like both of mine, ready to fly, cost over that, ready to fly. Really,
0: what's the value in? Is it mainly the the, the fuselage? You know, the you know, the, the
1: oh, well, you, you buy a like the Eureka. That's like the you buy a that's made by Hugh Yang, which uh, oh, what well, how would you class you'd class them as the uh, the sort of the Rolls Royce of pattern planes, like the finish is just perfect, can't fault the finish on them, they're just that good, um, and they're probably, they'd be the most expensive ones out there at the moment, and then you go down from there and you've got CK Aero, which are, are fairly popular now too, um, they sort of, probably sort of the mid-range price, and you've got other manufacturers in Europe now that are coming out, like top pilots that are coming out with their own designs and starting to kit them as well.
0: The um, Is it true that I saw somewhere that you started to design your own plane?
1: Yeah, I've got my own design in the works. Um, I've had a foam plug CNC, so something you also need to sort of get some time on and, and get the plug sort of finished off and hopefully get a decent plane out of it. Because I just thought, oh, well, if I got that, if I get something that flies really nice and and well, then I could, if I need a new plane, I can just sort of sp- spit one out, and you're not sort of paying five, six, seven thousand dollars for a, for a kit.
0: I've just got this great fear at the moment, the way things are going, that we're going to see a, a, a decent price hike in in a lot of our hobby equipment. Not only you know, shortage of materials, but um, freight issues and increasing freight costs, and even even getting a model to Tasmania from the mainland is not a cheap exercise. Where do you typically go to buy your gear? Like are there local hobby stores, or is it all online?
1: No, nah, lo- local hobby stores are sort of like most places they are sort of dwindling. Um, I've got a got a guy over here, or well, mentioned before earlier, Steve Ralph. He's sort of got a sort of model shop in his. In his house, if you know what I mean, he just he's, he's always sold stuff for years going back into the, the 60s, 70s. But he generally, these days, he generally doesn't keep the stuff that I need. Um, I do support him wherever I can, but he doesn't, because it's a niche sort of area of the hobby, specific items, um, he can't afford to sort of keep that stuff on the shelf, hoping that I'll come along and buy something one day, you know what I mean? So okay. but most of my stuff's online. Get a lot of stuff from from Queensland, from Richo up there, just because he's JR's man up there. Um, so that's where I get all my servos and that from. Um, apart from that, linkages, all that sort of stuff. It's just sort of online, usually like RC Japan or something like that. Usually got pretty much what you need.
0: Yeah, it's really become a sort of a global marketplace to 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 get some of our stuff now, and I think. Um... You know, we went through a period of time where sort of online retailing was like a bad word kind of thing, but not anymore that, uh, you know, it's been proven through the COVID period that see most of our good shops, you know, bringing stuff like, you know, Desert Aircraft and places like that, uh, are doing a boring trade online as well. And uh, thank God for that because, as you just said, few and far between a lot of the hobby stores and especially when you're in niche areas, trying to get the right stuff is a bit trickier.
1: Yeah, and, and freight is – I think freight prices are just going to get worse. Um, and and that's, that's that's sort of the biggest area where it's going to increase. But electronics, I think the way things are going with resources and that sort of thing, I think they're going to increase in price as well because those ways you would have seen. Samsung and, and iPhone have, have stopped certain models that because they just couldn't get the the parts. The parts. Yeah, think- yeah you know a
0: lot of the stuff i do with my work with technology everybody has hasn't got stock and yep. they don't know they can't give you an answer as to when the stock is coming and if there yep. is some stock they can't tell you when it's going to be shipped because there's a backlog in the freight system as well so it's it's weird like the upside is that every time they have something in stock it sells out and we have, I saw an email recently from desert aircraft australia basically saying that that we don't know when we're going to get models But um, tell us what you want early so we can try to accommodate you. And I actually grilled one of my customers about that. We often hear people, you know, manufacturers say, well, get your orders in early. And I asked my customer who's in the computer game, and he said, if people order early, what does that enable you to do? He said, we could just manage things better. We we have greater visibility as to what the requirements are, uh, and then once we know what we've got, we can sort of prepare in advance. So there's people that come in at the last minute and say, I really need this computer. I can't open my shop until I get it kind of thing. That um, makes it a bit difficult. But I've been telling people for years, you know, if, if there's a model that you want, go and tell your, your local store well in advance and they'll, they'll try their best because knowing how this industry works, half of the models aren't sitting in stock in China somewhere. They're being made at some point in time. So...
1: Yeah, well, I find with with the Hu Yang models, a lot of times, though, we sort of only build to order as well. Yeah,
0: well, being that high-end, they're probably doing low-volume stuff, but um, it's interesting that uh, years ago when I was in China, I was talking to a manufacturer there, and he was saying how building bolsa models was becoming more and more expensive due to the costs and even the amount of staff that were involved. He said he needed um, four staff to build a balsa plane and he needed two to build a composite plane. And it's interesting. Like, when was the last time you saw a Bolser plane at a, at a, an F three A comp? You know, yeah,
1: a lot of a lot of them these days are going composite. Even even guys who are building their own at home. Yes. Well, same as what I'm sort of going to do with mine. Yep. You, you make a plug, a mold, and you do a composite layout. Yeah.
0: The uh, it's, it's 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 amazing how it, it's sort of dominant in that realm. And one of the challenges. This friend of mine told me he was building like a 30cc size. Um, I saw the prototypes, and his biggest challenge was the wing weight and getting the wings lighter so that the plane would roll a, a bit better. But obviously, pattern planes have sort of worked that out.
1: Um, yeah, you, you do find a lot of even the composite pattern planes, a lot will still have built up wings. Yeah. Yeah. Just, for, I think that's mainly to do with weight, I think.
0: Yeah, I know people in the IMAX scene have got composite planes built their own wings just for the weight saving. Yeah, exactly right. Are you into any other? Have you got any other models besides pattern planes, or is just solely you got to be focused on that to, to keep on progressing?
1: Um, uh, no, I've got a few other. Well, I've got a lot, a lot of kits down there in the in the room. Know. But yeah, but I've got Sorry, a. Sorry, I forgot you're an aero modeler. You just have two <laughs> aeroplanes. <laughs> yeah, but no, I've got a few others. I've got a thirty-three percent Hangar Nine Edge with a DA hundred in it. Um. A Hangar 9 P-47 with a DA-50 in it. Oh, that'd be nice. Yeah, and a, and a few sort of smaller 60-size models and that sort of thing, just sports planes. How often do they see see the sky? Not often enough. <laughs> <laughs> um, I've got a, on my list to do is get my P-47 sort of back out and, and give that a go again.
0: Yeah, I call that an event plane. Next time there's a fun fly event, that's the kind of plane you take. You're not going to take your pattern yeah, plane. Yeah, yeah. You know, I always say that pattern flying is not really a great spectator sport. I've, uh, no, I, that's
1: pretty much it. I've,
0: uh, see, somebody said to me the other day, oh, are you going to go to the Chuka IMAC competition? I said, look, I can stay home and watch the paint dry. I love <laughs> aerobatics. You know, I always say I'm an aerobatics and I'm a glider guy. That's the two things, but aerobatics is my first love and um, I, love, I love aerobatics, but the competition side – which I really appreciate, like I can understand. Well, the best pilots I know are, 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 are pilots that have been involved in either IMAC or Patton. You know, when you see Glenn Orchard land an aeroplane, you could put a 20-cent a, a piece in the middle of the runway and Glenn's going to hit that every time. You know, that, that, that command of the aircraft that has been, you know, sort of developed over many years of being really critical about how you fly just makes you a much better pilot, which can then translate into the way you fly a scale plane uh, as an example. But um, I think it's one of those challenges. If you want to be really good at pattern, you can't go and be mucking around with other planes. Uh, yeah, it's like any focus. it's
1: like any any competition, no matter what it is. If you want to do well, you, you sort of need to put in the practice – yeah, obviously some people need more practice than others, but they even the top guys they still practice a lot.
0: Yeah, when you go out and um, fly at the field, um, you're getting critiqued by fellow pattern guys or vice versa.
1: Well, I'm pretty much the only one that flies pattern in my club. Um, I've got a we've got a, a guy that flies sportsman, but. He hasn't been he's been on holiday for a while tripping around Australia, He hasn't been there much. But yeah, I'm the only one that's sort of seriously into into pattern at the moment in our club.
0: Have you have you set yourself any goals with your patent flying? Because you, you've reached the top level now. You know, what's the future look like?
1: Ah, get a, get some get some more wins at big comps would be nice. Um
0: world champs. <laughs> the Australian world champion.
1: Well, well, yeah, that's not true how that's gonna go, but because you've got a lot of good pilots in Australia. Yeah. But um, I've actually been participated in the World Champs for Australia. So in 2017, went to Argentina oh, as a yeah. team member.
0: If, uh, who was with you? Dennis Treviseros,
1: And Russell Edwards. Okay, yeah. yeah. How'd that go? And that, oh, that was a fantastic trip.
0: Well, it's always good yeah.
1: traveling for aero modeling.
0: But how, oh, yeah. getting to Argentina, how, how, what was that like with your models and stuff?
1: Uh, It was pretty, quite easy, actually. Um, Didn't have any dramas at all. But as, at the time, I was, from the team trials we had, I was sort of first reserve. I was sort of fourth. And then one of the guys had to pull out for some reason, then I got a phone call. It was on a Friday saying what had happened and if I'd be willing to sort of step in and take the place. And I had... But I was all they was leaving the next Friday. I oh, had a week. really? Yeah, oh,
0: a, a week a, quick
1: to, a, a week week to organise. Obviously, first thing I do was okay with work. Um, and then I also had a trip booked to Hong Kong that was on at the same time that <laughs> I was supposed to be going to. <laughs> so had to sort of organise to get that re re timed, like postpone that, and then. Yeah, four and organised flights like to to Argentina. Um, it took me four days of pretty much constant work to get everything done, lined up, ready to go. Gee, that's so, a quick, like, yeah. well,
0: that just shows you four days to get everything lined up. Did you have a a, a crate for your plane?
1: Well, that's the, that's the thing. I was just going to say. I did have one that was I'd already built because earlier in the year I'd been to New Zealand for the Trans-Tasman competition, and I built a model box for that. And if I hadn't have done that, I wouldn't have made this other one because I just well, I just wouldn't have been able to make a, a model box yeah. in that time. So that was very fortunate that I'd done that and I already had the model box there. Yeah. Um, the, the only thing was that it was a, probably a little bit wide than what I'd really needed, So I just needed to take, I think I took three inches out of the middle of it. That's all I did just to make it a little bit narrower, which in hindsight turned out very good because when we got to Argentina, the higher vehicle we had, the model box as it was in its narrowed state, only just fitted up the side of the vehicle between the side and the seat. So (laughs) that was good. That worked out well.
0: Luck was on your side. It's a bit... But coming from Tasmania, you would have had to get to Melbourne to fly out, at least, wouldn't you?
1: Yeah, I had to fly from Launceston to Melbourne, then it was Melbourne, Auckland, then Auckland, Buenos Aires. Gee, that's a big trip. That is a big, big trip. Yep, but yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't change it for the world. without a fantastic time. It is
0: amazing. Like I, I'm fortunate to have, have gone to China three times now for, um, judge an aerobatic event, and and just so many good memories, just unbelievable memories, and. And actually when I had Dennis Traviseros on, he was, you know, he just it was amazed at the experience of flying overseas and 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 really was, you know, quite touched at having that opportunity to fly for your country kind of thing, which I think is just an absolutely awesome, an awesome effort. But you had a week, uh, just still thinking about that and the running around and you know it, uh, obviously it was okay booking your flight. There were there was there was availability for you, but um, gee, it, it but you never know. You, you've been there once. the The Australian when are the world champs in Australia coming up. It's, it's a couple 20, of twenty
1: twenty twenty three. Two years time. Yeah, casino, and I think I think there's
0: going to be a lot of people in, in Australia that are going to be striving to just be part of that because you know it's just it's it's relatively local for for, for everybody in a kind of way. At least we don't have to go offshore. But um, yeah, I know that uh, Aaron Gale up in uh, Queensland will be fighting hard to get into that team, and I'm not sure.
1: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people going to be going for that. Peter Panisi, he's he's practicing hard. Yeah. Um, you got. I've you notice glenno has been out flying I again, and, and and Bill Bill Bloodworth sort of back on the on the scene again.
0: Oh, did you see that? You saw that Facebook post, and I went, "Gee," because Gleno's a member of the club where I am, and um, you know, Glenn Orchard won't come on this podcast. I've invited him so many times, and he goes, "I got nothing to say. I don't have much of a story." And I'm like. Glenn, you've been like a top-notch <laughs> pattern pilot. Went to multiple world champs. Like you're a gun pilot, and your dad was thinking. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hit him up again. Tell yeah, yeah, definitely. Get definitely. On. Can, if you if you talk to him, can you just tell him that he, he needs to come on because um people want to hear his story. But um because he's, he's he's come up, he comes into this podcast now and again. People mention his name, but Glenn Orchard's a great, a great pilot. But will he come back or not? I he's working really, really hard, and I don't know whether he's got the time to to commit to it because like. When he was flying at the top level, it was you know three days a week he's out at the field having a crack, and so um, I don't know whether he's going to be able to 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 do that again. But um, it'll be interesting to see Bill Bloodworth to see if he comes back into it, and um, we've got some up and coming youngsters as well. So I tell you what, it's going to be a good time the next two years. Everybody's going to become a better pilot in the next two years, and there'll be a new. When does are they? When does a new sequence come in? Is it going to be 2023 with a new sequence or? Because I don't know whether they've delayed everything as a result of COVID.
1: Uh, new sequences start after every World Champs. So the a sequence lasts for two years. Then you'll have your World Champs at the end of that period. Then the, the sequences change after that. So they'll change after um, 2023 World Champs in Australia.
0: Okay. So everyone's got plenty of time to perfect, uh, yeah, cause
1: perfect now, cause the... Yeah, because now the US World Champs was supposed to be been in July this year. But with due to coronavirus, it was cancelled. And that's after that is when the schedules would have changed. But a lot of people changed early because that was cancelled. So they sort of will, Mars will go early and and get some extra practice time on the new schedules.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. It's been a big pity, this COVID situation, hasn't it?
1: Oh, you're not wrong.
0: I think, uh, look, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel with, uh, you know, here in Australia and, you know... um, We're pretty much relatively free over here in Victoria. Western Australia doesn't want to be part of Australia anymore. They're just
1: locking everybody out. They they never have. You know know how I started this
0: podcast by saying I've been reading this book about the history of Australia and and pre the English colonisation, well, uh, the Dutch landed in Western Australia, and they basically said nothing to see here, and kept on going. It wasn't until <laughs> Captain Cook hit sort of the eastern seaboard and went, "This place is great. There's potential in this," and they just kept on yep. going. Oh, there's nothing here. It's just like desert, and so they just kept on bypassing it for for, for you know a century. They didn't touch the place, but um. Yeah, so Western Australia is going to—they're going to have to rename themselves because take the Australia out of it at this rate. But, uh, yep. I, I still have not managed to get anybody from Western Australia on this podcast, and I've asked people, and they just never respond. It's like a blank. Okay, me. but I'm going to keep on trying because because Steve Mary-
1: Steve Steve, Steve Curran would be a good one if you can get him.
0: Okay, well, I'll, I will look him up.
1: Steve Steve's been multiple. On multiple um, Australian teams, um, oh, really? AOX and all that sort of thing. Yep, yep. I he's he's also heard rumours that Steve may be sort of oh. uh, coming come back for the team <laughs> trials as well, but yeah, I'm not sure yet. But
0: how many – so it's, it's three members, isn't it, in the team?
1: Yeah, yep. You can have oh, three members and a junior. I can see some politics
0: winding up. There's going to be arguments <laughs> in the field and that person missed out on the World chance by half a point. It's going to be great. No, it's, it's, it's going to be good times. I really cross my fingers and hope that, that that event comes off um up in Casino in 2023. So, um you know, if you're listening overseas and you fly a pattern, just be ready. The Australians are practising hard because they want to take it out. This is our year. 2023 <laughs> yeah. will be.
1: Yep, yeah. yep. Yeah.
0: Well, we've come to the end. I've got a final question. It's a question that everybody hangs on to. They, they want to know. And and for often for often it's a very tricky question, the hardest question for that I, that I ask, and that question is what has been your all time favourite model? Um,
1: in like pattern or just Anything overall? Overall. Well, as as far as flying goes, I would have to say my current pattern plane, my XRL two. It's it, I just yeah it just does everything right. I just like it. But um, as far as a favourite model, I I love pit specials. Really? Yeah. And I've got a a Great Plains, one-third pits. And that's, yeah.
0: How does it fly? Because I always believe that pits look great in the air. They're a really realistic model to see in the air. But I've never heard anybody rave about the flying characteristics of the pits.
1: No, I find this that it flies really well. Um, I've got a Super Tiger forty-five cc in it, glow engine, and twenty by ten prop, and that just flies really scale-like. Hmm. Um, but yeah, just just typical, typical sort of um, aerobatic plane like that. You got to watch your, your stall speed; like they'll they'll tip stall quite easy on landing if you're not careful. Yeah. But yeah. But yeah, but as my f- favorite model is, has got to be uh, my pattern plane, Max 2 Yep.
0: You've, you've done it what everybody else does. You know, they can, you, your favorite pattern plane and the pits, but really it's the pattern plane was your favorite model.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yep. That'd, that'd be the pick.
0: I yep. think it was Norm Morris that uh, gave me the one, two, and three. I said, Norm, did I ask you for two or three? I only asked <laughs> for one. <laughs> <laughs> I think
1: he was rewriting
0: the rule book. So, um, but anyway, Scott, it's been, it's been a pleasure and, and glad to have you on as the first. Uh, Tasmanian on the Flat Out RC podcast, and um, good to hear your story. Um, you
1: know, oh, just just say one more thing that the other highlight of my career up to date is judging at the World Champs in Italy in two thousand nineteen. Oh, really? Australian Australian judge. Yep.
0: Oh, so did you? Okay, we're not finished yet. Then I want to know about this. <laughs> so you went to Italy as an invited judge, or
1: yes, yes. How did that come about? Now, you tell me this. Well, well, a few years ago, I sort of thought I'd like to get into the sort of international judging side of it. So went through the motions, did what I needed to do here in Australia. You sort of got to do certain comps and get to a certain level. So, And then you get submitted to the FAI to be added to the international judging list. And then once you're on there, like the country that holds the worlds, they sort of they choose from that in natural judges, list. They send out invitations to those they want to come and judge at the World Champs in their country.
0: And so what what did a judge what did a day look like judging? Like did you have to sit there all day or was there like a roster?
1: Yeah, there was a roster. Um, there was a morning morning shift and afternoon shift. So one group would judge in the morning and the other group would judge in the afternoon. And you then they did it alternate each day to day
0: and they, they had multiple flight lines didn't they
1: yeah two flight lines so you had one lot of well two groups of judges that were judging online one like morning and afternoon and you have two lots of judges online two, morning and afternoon and then you also get to judge on the other flight line as well
0: yeah okay so that um you've been pretty that would have been you would have seen a lot of people fly
1: Oh, that was that was fantastic. I and
0: mean, you probably would say, like, you wouldn't have seen a really really bad flight, though, would you?
1: No, no, that all, all the competitors there really good.
0: <laughs> well, I hope so.
1: It's world champion. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But but there is there's there's mistakes. Everyone makes mistakes. So yeah, that was you got to watch. You got to look for them. But they're there, yeah. Do you get any bribes? No. Yeah. I had the hat out, but yeah, no <laughs> takers. Free beers. <laughs> okay. Oh. Free- Yes, they don't. They don't talk about alcohol. <laughs> <laughs> where, where was it in Italy? Um, it was. Oh, what was the place called? Just what? Oh, I can't remember. What it was called. Now it was just out of Milan, about about an hour and a half, two hours out of Milan. Okay, yeah. I can't remember what the place was called. Now it's on the tip of my tongue. It's that a brain so fade. A Good place to go to Italy for, to go for a fly. Be yeah. with the oh, food
0: yeah. and drink
1: there. Yeah, no, it was really good. So, you know, all, the, all the other judges, that was great to meet all them and um, get to know them, work with them. Um, yeah, you get to know a lot of people, even the pilots, a little bit of a time just talk to some of them, but not too much because you're busy judging. But yeah. yeah, no, it was really good. It, it was great, great experience. And some something else I'd hope to do again as well.
0: Yeah, I, I always say to people that um, if you get the opportunity to go, you know, travel internationally for your hobby, whatever it is even just to attend an event or something like that is just it's just another experience it's just it's just something special about it when when you're away from home you know flying planes or being around an event or something like that i just think it's uh, so many good memories that come from that i i love i was talking about there's a lot the um the scale world champs that were held in switzerland and the photos there was not one bad photo because the scenery was phenomenal and like oh, to be there would have been great just to be in that environment with these big mountains around you these awesome plains and that kind of thing i think oh yeah yep. but i always say that if i was going to go to an event i'd probably go with the um discus launch glider um world champs because i think um there's not that many many people that fly competitively in australia so your chances of getting into the team are a lot easier uh, so yeah yep. well i'll go and fly that and that'll be perfect and you just you know tuck your glider under your arm hardly weighs anything put it on as carry-on luggage almost so um yeah i like yep. the idea of that because some of these other scale guys and how they get their planes around I just don't understand but anyway yep. scott that is a great story to end on I, I didn't know that you went to italy as a judge and um you, you look. You might get the chance to go and judge it. You know, in the Australian World Champs, you never know.
1: Oh, you never know. Yeah, there's yeah, there's um, someone's got to do the judging. Yeah, yeah, someone's got to be on the team. Someone's do the judging. Yeah, there's yeah, number of options there to look at. We well, just got to get involved,
0: and then the opportunities will develop. And that's what you've done. And it's good to see. And uh thanks for all the work that you're doing for the the patent community down there in Tasmania as well. That. uh Sounds like you're the linchpin of it, holding it all together. So uh, good job.
1: Yeah, no, I'll get to go around Australia a fair bit doing it because I'm the national contest director as well. So I'll do contests over in the mainland as well as compete. I'll run, run them as well, like the Masters and APA champs, so I'll sort of run. Gee, that's a lot of work then. Yeah, no, I love it though. It's great. And all the, all the fantastic people you meet along the way, catch up.
0: That is true. That is true. Well thanks Scott, thanks for joining me and uh, keep up the good work.
1: Yep, no, thanks very much for having me on. It's been great. About to leave,
0: Come with me. I'm not really asking. will get away to a place where we don't know. Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast, done and dusted. Big thank you to Scott K for joining me. Uh really enjoyed having a chat with a Tasmanian. I've got this goal that I want to have somebody from all walks of Australian the Australian landmass basically Uh, I've only got Western Australia to go and for some reason I've mentioned this before people in Western Australia don't like responding to my messages inviting them to come onto the podcast so if anyone out there in WA wants to come onto the podcast send me a message visit flatoutrc.com.au and Send me a message or an email or get onto the Facebook page. And, and all of you, get onto the Facebook page. Flat out Facebook page. Join that. And don't forget about the YouTube channel as well. Uh, the flying weather has been pretty poor down here in Melbourne, so I haven't been able to get out. Uh, we've been having a lot of rain. Every weekend, it decides to rain and be very, very windy. And this weekend is another bad weekend of no flying. And next weekend isn't looking great either. And there's a jet event on, and I don't know whether it's going to run. So, we'll find out during the week. Hopefully, the weather improves for that. I was supposed to go away actually this weekend and down to the country for a fly, but that didn't happen because it was cancelled because of the weather. Anyway, I hope the weather's better in uh, your neck of the woods and you're enjoying getting out there having a fly. I'll be back next week. I've got another guest lined up, so there will be a next week. Talk to you then.